keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ and welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your not host, your producer instead, rather, is Adrian Fonseca, and praise be to God, it is so good to be here with you today. And despite of it all, I'm here, praise be to God. Well, I'm not actually here. I'm kind of here. I'm here. You're hearing my voice, that's for sure. But I'm actually at home today, sleeping away, because today is a day off for the GRN, and instead, we are preparing for Christmas Day. But don't worry, because today, even though it's not a live show, we still have brand new content that you have never heard before. In the first hour, we're going to give you an amazing talk by Dr. Barber on the true meaning of Christmas. You're not going to want to miss that interview. We talk about the dating of Christmas. We talk about the um, the the anti-Protestant position against Christmas. How about Sol Invictus? Was Christmas a pagan holiday? We talk about all this and more and much, much, much more. And so praise be to God, it's going to be a, a excellent interview you're not going to want to miss. And if you do, for some reason, don't get to hear the entirety of the interview, you can always go to our website, go to www dot grnonline.com forward slash cdt that's grnonline.com forward slash cdt to get all that information and more and on our youtube channel catholic drive time it'll be there as well so praise be to god in this in the second hour we're going to be giving you a sermon by saint vincent ferrer i read the sermon of saint vincent ferrer for christmas day and that will be present on the second hour instead of a game show and it's an excellent, excellent uh, conversation, an excellent um, sermon that was given by an amazing, one of the greatest saints who ever walked the earth, the greatest preachers. And if you missed that interview for some reason, are not able to hear any or all of it, then I recommend going to Catholic Conversations, which is my podcast slash YouTube channel. And you can see that inner, that entirety, that entire conversation there, sermon rather, and that'll be present there for your enjoyment, for your use. So praise be to God for that. And this hour, uh, this first segment, I'm going to give you the gospel of the day, the saint of the day. No breaking news because I don't know what the breaking news is. So praise be to God. And maybe we can get some relief from all the onset of news. And But tomorrow and Friday, there will be no Catholic drive time at all. We'll be playing EWTN content. So I believe that means I could be wrong. Uh, so don't get angry if I accidentally get this information incorrect. But I believe we'll be playing the sermon from Fulton. Fulton Sheen, uh, or his talk, his uh, his show from Fulton Sheen's show for Christmas Day. That'll be tomorrow. And then we will also be having a, a show on uh, Friday. I believe it is going to be an audio drama of the Christmas Carol. Uh, and we also should be playing the... EWTN Mass as well. So those kind of those things will be happening uh, during this hour, and we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming on Monday, but without Joe McClain. Joe is going to be on vacation until the 28th, and I will be going on vacation on the 28th. So I'll be in on Monday with Jesus Robles, and it'll be a regularly scheduled thing. Only difference will be Joe won't be in, and it'll be Jesus Robles and myself. So praise be to God. I look forward to having this, spending that conversation with you and uh, with our listeners today. 
and well next week 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 rather i promise i can know how to speak and so we will stop with this we'll pray our memorare we will jump into our saying of the day we'll jump into the gospel of the day read by rudy carlos and then we will get a brief commentary on that gospel of the day and then afterwards, we'll jump into our conversation with, with Dr. Barber in the second hour, the Sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer. Let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by his confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your Your saint saint of the day. The saint of the day is St. John Cantius, or St. John Conti, who was born in the 14th century in 1390. St. John Cantius, the people of Olkszas in Poland, had every reason to be suspicious of their new pastor. They knew what a Krakow professor would think of their small rural town, and even more insulting, their town was once again being used as a dumping ground for a priest who was, quote, in disgrace. John had indeed been kicked out of his university position unjustly. And rivals who resented John's popularity with the students had cooked up a false charge against him. John was not even allowed to appear at his own hearing or testify in his own defense. So at the age of 41, he was shipped off to be an apprentice pastor. Certainly no one would have blamed John if he was furious at such injustice. However, he was determined that his new parishioners would not suffer because of what had happened to him. But there was no overnight miracle waiting for him. He was nervous and afraid of his new responsibilities. And despite the energy he put into his new job, the parishioners remained hostile. But John's plan was very simple and came not from the mind, but from the heart. He let his genuine interest and concern for these people show in everything he did. Despite working for years without any sign of success, he was very careful not to demonstrate impatience or anger. He knew that people could never be bullied into love, so he gave them what he hoped they would find in themselves. After eight years, he was exonerated and transferred back to Krakow. He was been so successful that those once hostile people followed him several miles down the road, begging him to stay. For the rest of his life, he was professor of sacred scripture at the university. He was so well-liked that he would often be invited to dinner with nobility. Once he was turned away at the door by a servant who thought John's cassock was too frayed. John didn't argue but went home and changed into a new cassock and returned. During the meal, a servant spilled a dish on John's new clothes. No matter, he joked, my clothes deserve some dinner too. If it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't be here at all. Once John was sitting down to dinner when he saw a beggar walk by outside. He jumped up immediately, ran out, and gave the beggar the food in his bowl. He asked no questions, made no demands. He just saw someone in need and helped with what he had. John taught his students philosophy again and again. Fight all error, but do it with good humor, patience, kindness, and love. Harshness will damage your own soul and spoil the best cause. In his footsteps, John put all his efforts into a new and frightening job and others might have considered beneath him. Today, do something you have never done before 
or do something in a new way. Perhaps something that has frightened you or felt that was beneath you. This could be something as simple as trying a different type of prayer or a complex as serving others in a new way. The biography of St. John Cantius, he was born in Kedi, or Kenty, a small town in Poland. He attended the Krakow University, in which he got his licentiousness. He became a doctor of philosophy in 1418 and graduated and spent three years conducting philosophy classes at the university while preparing for the priesthood. Upon his ordination, he became rector of the school of the canons regular of the Most Holy Sepulchre. He eventually was kicked out because of allegations against him. During his time in Krakow, Cantius became known for the city for his generosity and compassion for the poor. He made one pilgrimage to Jerusalem and four pilgrimages on foot to Rome. The medieval Polish historian and Cantius's first biographer described Cantius's extreme humility and charity. He took as his motto, Conturbare cave non es placare suve, in farme cave non revocare grave. Beware disturbing. It is not sweetly pleasing. Beware speaking ill, for taking back words is burdensome. He died while living in retirement at his alma mater on 24th of December, 1473, at the age of 83. His remains was interred at the Collegiate Church of St. Anne, where his tomb becomes at rem- and remains a popular pilgrimage site, one where actually I have actually visited back when I went to Poland. A beautiful, beautiful chapel. When St. John Cantus's feast day was first inserted into the Roman calendar in 1770, it was initially signed to the 20th of October, but in the reform of the calendar, it was moved to the 23rd of December, the day before the anniversary of his death, which occurs on Christmas Eve, 1473. St. John Cantus, pray for us. And now your gospel. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. When the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. When they came on the eighth day to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. So they made signs, asking his father what he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. And all were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue freed, and he spoke, blessing God. Then fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful, beautiful gospel passage that was. A couple things. What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. What a beautiful line. Cornelius Zalapide had a ton to say about this as usual. The hand that is the wonderful power, providence, care, grace, and the favor of God. For all of these, the hand is a symbol. So Cornelius Zalapide says, the hand that is referenced here, the hand of God, the hand of the Lord, which was with him, 
What hand? What does that mean? That is the power, the providence, the care, the grace, and the favor of God. And it displayed themselves in this boy. Which boy? Well, we're talking to which boy are we talking about here? We're talking about uh, the St. John the Baptist, right? So that it might be seen that he was singularly formed, chosen, and destined for great things. And God showed us this by one, by announcing his nativity by an angel to the father Zacharias. By two, by unloosing the tongue and the ears of Zacharias at his birth, so that he might speak and praise the praises of God. And three, by illuminating and impaling him to prophesy concerning the boy. And four, by giving to Elizabeth when old and barren this offspring by a miracle. And five, by giving to the boy a new and unusual name, all which things began being for the most part miracles, that John would be a great man and a prophet, and that God would accomplish great things by him. And all who saw or heard these things were filled with great joy, fear, and hope. Praise be to God. Cornelius Lapide went on to go further talking about this, and I highly recommend checking out his entire commentary on this passage. But just to limit ourselves for today, I want to focus in on that line and what that means for us today. We got Cornelius Lapide's explanation of it, but think about this. What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. How can we say this of ourselves? That the hand of the Lord is with us. That the providence of God guides our lives. There's a great book that Joe often refers to, which is The Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. Do you trustfully surrender to God every day of our lives? Do you think to ourselves, you know, I need to understand that God has a will for me in my life. And that I want to be conformed to that will. But how? How then can we hear the word of God? It was a grace for Zacharias to be be made mute and to be made deaf. Why was it a grace? Well, because Zacharias at this point had doubt of of the love of God. He had a doubt of the miracle and the power of God. But by becoming deaf and mute, he was able to focus the mind. Because it is in silence that the Lord speaks. And whenever we speak less, we can look with the eyes of our heart and the eyes of our soul and see the goodness that God has prepared for us. So there is a lesson for us today. Let us speak less. Let us hear less. Let us be in silence as we prepare for the coming of our Lord on Christmas Day. We'll be right back with a with our Dr. Barber interview on Christmas. We'll be right back just after this break. Don't go anywhere. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says, All comfort must be based on discomfort. What's that supposed to mean? It has something to do with the fact that we celebrate Christmas in December. It is the feast in the middle of winter. We are choosing to be joyful at the very moment when the whole material world around us is most sad. We are defying cold death outside by celebrating life inside. And that's why there's nothing more comfortable than a blazing fire in the middle of a blizzard and why we bring a green tree inside and decorate it and talk of good cheer in the face of darkness and death tidings of comfort and joy because all comfort is based on discomfort 
Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Merry Christmas from the Guadalupe Radio Network family. I'm Tim Mott, the general manager of the GRN station in Houston, Texas, KSHJ. Christmas is a time for family. My family has already made a gingerbread house and eaten it on the same day. The dog knocked over the Christmas tree, and we've bonded watching our favorite Christmas movie. But even if your family isn't a source of joy for you, remember that you are loved by this GRN family and by the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Merry Christmas. Joining us right now via Zoom chat is uh, scripture scholar, professor at Augustine Institute, uh, Dr. Michael Barber. He's got a brand new book out called The True Meaning of Christmas, The Birth of Jesus and the Origins of the Season, published by Ignatius Press. Uh, Good morning to you, Dr. Barber. It's great to be with you, Joe. Thanks so much. Praise be to God. It's good to see you again. It's been a very long time since I've had the chance to talk to you, uh, so I'm glad to do so again. And what a great occasion to do this at the uh, one of the greatest seasons in the liturgical calendar, that of the Christmas season. Yes, uh, St. John Chrysostom in uh, the early church called it the chief and mother of all holy days. I love that. The chief and mother of all holy days. That's so, that's so <laughs> strong. Praise be to God. Uh, now, this, in particular, this book, I think, is going to be fascinating because as I've, I haven't read the book yet, but in listening to some of your commentary on the book and your conversations with others about it, I, I find that there's probably going to be some very fascinating points in this. For instance, your talk on the dating of Christmas, the Christmas tree traditions and things like that uh, are, are, are very fascinating. But right out of the gate, what was the most fascinating thing that you learned during your process of writing this book? Well, you know, I'm a Bible scholar, so what I wanted to do was write a book that would be accessible for anyone, right? So we did get the renowned theologian and uh, Christian scholar John Cavadini to write a forward for the book, but I really wanted to help write a book that, you know, would answer just people's general questions. Why is Jesus born in a manger? Why does it say there's no room in the inn? Is there some kind of like Hotel Bethlehem with a no vacancy sign in it? Why is it so important that the mother of the Messiah is a virgin? What does round yon virgin mean anyway, right? Why is it significant that we have shepherds in the field? What were shepherds, you know, considered like it? What was their role in the Christmas story, what were they were what was their role in first century Jewish world? Who are the magi? Why do we associate with them with the three kings? They're never called kings in the story. Uh, why do they come on camels? Uh, what is this <laughs> mysterious Christmas star? Is it like Jupiter aligning with Mars in the age of Aquarius or you know, something like that? Well, what's going on there? Um, but I gotta tell you, so I knew a lot of that going into this because again, I'm a scripture scholar, I teach this stuff. Uh, so, you know, it's fun for me. Every chapter, I take the words of a familiar Christmas song. So every every chapter starts with the words of a Christmas song. And then we sort of start from there and unpack the meaning of various aspects of the Christmas story. But I will say, I really wanted to include in this book a treatment on some of the customs that we have associated with Christmas, the history of the development of the Christmas celebration. And I wanted to look at how did December 25th become Christmas? That was something that was very interesting to me. And I, I gotta be honest with you, uh, 
<laughs> I didn't know as much as I thought I did about this topic. And, and really, that was par for the course. I found in writing the book that a lot of the things that are said about the Christmas story, mm. a lot of the things that are said about the origins of our Christmas customs are actually not true. And that if you look at serious scholarly sources, you'll you'll find information that uh, will surprise you. And that was especially the case for me uh, with looking at how December 25th became Christmas. And so that chapter took me probably more time than all the other chapters to write include, you know, um, um, all the other chapters together uh, were less time than that one chapter, chapter 11, where I went through a lot of, you know, peer reviewed academic journals and academic monographs to kind of get to the, get to the the real story. And, and so that was a lot of fun for me. And on that talk, topic in particular, uh, how deep did you dive or count upon, is maybe a better way to phrase it, how much did you count upon the witness of the earliest Christians? Yeah, so the the chapter goes very deeply into the witness of the earliest Christians. And I look at, you know, how how did the early Christians come to decide that they should celebrate Jesus's birth on December 25th? Because one thing that you see very clearly is that there wasn't agreement about when Jesus was born in the early church, right? The earliest Christians in Bethlehem had a very uh very clear sense of where Jesus was born. They had a very clear tradition of where Jesus was born, and they they end up building a church there, the Church of Nativity. You can go there to this day. It's a beautiful place. Been there before. Um, but they but they didn't all agree on where Jesus was born. In fact, no one in the first, say, 200 years says Jesus is born on December 25th. Mm. There are all kinds of other dates that are floating around. Um, so it's a really interesting story to look at and uh i had a lot of fun explaining it it's it's a very it's a very involved story i hope people will read the book and uh and, and see what we have there many people would argue people who are detractors usually of christianity in general would say well you're just hijacking winter solstice and and uh you know pre-christian rituals what would you say to that Right. So there is a, a, a narrative out there that, uh, well, Jesus didn't really exist. Jesus is just another spin on ancient pagan mythology. You'll see this out there all the time. One thing that they'll say, for example, is that uh, the god Mithras was born on December 25th, and Jesus is born on December 25th. Jesus is just another Mithras. Well, the reality is there are no ancient sources that tell us that Mithras was born on December 25th. Sometimes they'll say there was a sun god known as Sol Invictus. Sol meaning sun, Invictus meaning unconquerable. And they'll say, oh, well, there was a feast to this pagan sun god on December 25th, and the Christians just copied them. But here's what's interesting. The earliest source that tells us that there was a pagan festival to the sun god on December 25th is actually found in the 4th century, in the mm. 300s. And it happens to be found in the same work that is the earliest indisputed reference 
to Christians celebrating Jesus's birth on December 25th. So we don't have any documentation that proves that the pagans were celebrating it first on December 25th. In fact, it may very well be that Christians were already celebrating Jesus's birth on December 25th, and pagans were concerned with the rise of Christianity and decided they need they needed a festival on that date. So it's not really clear as people will often make it out to be. Although the winter solstice is an important backdrop for, for understanding how Christmas gets celebrated. December 25th used to be the winter solstice. So the winter solstice is the day the sunlight begins to grow. And it was a day of great cosmic significance to the ancient world. And what the Christians wanted to do was say, no, Christ is the true sun. In the book of Malachi chapter 4, there's a, a, a verse that talks about how the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise. And early Christians saw that as a reference to Christ. And so what they wanted to say was this day that had great cosmic significance ultimately has its meaning, not in some pagan mythology, but in Christ. He is the true meaning of the world. And so uh, that becomes an important backdrop to the way Christmas gets celebrated on that date. But there's a lot more to it. You'll have to read the whole book <laughs> to get all the details. Yeah, Dr. Barber, um, they say that about Easter too, you know, pagans will say, or they say that Easter is named after the pagan goddess Ishtar. And, and then it doesn't really, doesn't really add up when you look into, no. you know, the translation of the word Easter, et cetera, et cetera. So no, there's there are always... all kinds of things like this. So uh, exactly. I, I interact, I have a chapter on what's called Jesus mythicism, right? That's the idea that Jesus is just another version of ancient pagan mythology. And, you know, people will say things like, <laughs> this, this one really cracks me up, that gospel uh, ultimately has the sense of a spell, you know, that there's some magical connotation of the word gospel. That's absurd. It comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which means good news. It has nothing to do with <laughs> magic or ritual or sorcery. Like the music gospel? You know, you can't, yeah, you can't prevent people from making stuff up. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Dr. Michael Barber is our guest. His book is The True Meaning of Christmas, The Birth of Jesus and the Origins of the Season, which is published by Ignatius Press, which you can find linked up at Ignatius.com. I encourage you to, to pick up a copy, even if uh, you are you know, well into the Christmas season. By the time you realize this, you might still want to get a copy because this is a great resource to hand to other people. And uh, what an opportunity all year long to uh, to continue to plant the seeds for truth and reason and for defense of, uh, of the, one of the greatest feasts in our calendar. Speaking of which, uh, let me just uh, pause a little bit to talk about Advent, Dr. Barber. Um, I've, I've heard you talk about this, I think, with Dr. Tim Gray just the other day about this. Um, Christmas season, at the time of this broadcast, is, is right around the corner, but not yet. How important is it for us to, to really celebrate and focus on the season of Advent, and how do we do that without jeopardizing Advent for Christmas? Right. Well, I do think that the best way to prepare for Christ's coming, that's what Advent is really all about, right? It's preparing us for the coming of Christ, ultimately his coming at the end of time. But I think maybe the best way to do that is to meditate on his first coming. And so I really believe that the best way to prepare uh, for 
Christmas is to think about the Christmas story, to think about what happened when Jesus was born. And what one of the things I like to highlight is uh, something that the early church recognized, and that is, you know, Jesus is born and laid in a manger. What is that manger? Well, the word there is fatne in Greek. It refers to a feeding trough. Jesus is put where the food goes, right? That's really interesting. Of course, it highlights the humility of God. God loves us so much that he's willing to empty himself. Paul talks about this in Philippians 2, how Christ emptied himself in humility and took the form of a slave, even dying on a cross, right? The scandalous death of a cross. And so what Christ does on the cross is prefigured in his birth, because already he's showing us his humility. And Origen, the great early Christian writer, talks about how truly marvelous, I mean that in the sense of we would marvel at this, that the God of the cosmos wouldn't just become man, but would take on the vulnerability of an infant. Joe, I, I know I'm a father. You know, I, you know what it's like to have small children, right? Infants don't make noble sounds. <laughs> they make in, undignified sounds. Mm-hmm. And the thing that God loves us so much that he would be willing not just to become man, but to become an infant just speaks volumes about the lengths to which God will go to save us. But then we also see he's put where the food goes and that prefigures another important mystery, and that is the mystery of the Eucharist. Uh, St. Jerome, the great early church father, pointed out that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Beth means house. Lehem means bread in Hebrew. Jesus is born in the house of bread. And so in the Christmas story, we have a foreshadowing of the Eucharist. The best way to prepare for Christ coming at the end of time is to greet him when he comes to us as the bread from heaven in the Eucharist. If we prepare to receive him at Mass, we will be prepared to receive him, not just at Christmas time, but on the last day. So, you know, some people say, well, you know, you shouldn't put up a Christmas tree before December 25th. Don't put any Christmas songs on before December 25th. Amen. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. I, I think the best way to prepare for Christ coming is to reflect on that mystery, of course. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. Since we are all children, we all associate Christmas with... Christmas presents. G.K. Chesterton says that everything looks better when it's a gift. A gift is something we don't deserve. If we deserved it, it would not be a gift. And that's why the only possible response to a gift is gratitude. And that is why we hear in the Mass, as we will hear at Christ's Mass, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks. Everything we have is a gift. And that is why Chesterton says, thanks is the highest form of thought. That's why the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. The best kind of giving, says Chesterton, is thanksgiving. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you who is Messiah and Lord. As we celebrate this Christmas season, bring love and joy to all the people because our Savior is born. I'm David Magianis with the Guadalupe Radio Network, and I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. Coming at the end of time is to greet him when he comes to us as the bread from heaven in the Eucharist. If we prepare to receive him at Mass, we will be prepared to receive him, not just at Christmas time, but on the last day. So, you know, some people say, well, you know, you shouldn't put up a Christmas tree before December 25th. Don't put any Christmas songs on before December 25th. Amen. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. I, I think the best way to prepare for Christ's coming is to really reflect on that mystery. Of course, in the liturgy, we don't celebrate the, the liturgical season of Christmas until December you know, 24th, really Christmas Eve. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I always wear purple, you know, uh, throughout the day. It doesn't mean that because we're in Advent, we can't wear green or red. Uh, and, and just because it's Christmas doesn't mean that I should always be wearing green or red either, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah, so, so I think that we have to sort of recognize that, yes, that we have these distinct liturgical seasons of the church, but we should also recognize that God wants us to prepare for his coming by meditating on that story of his birth and preparing to receive him at Mass. And every Mass, make no mistake about it, is a little Christmas. Because the same Lord who came to us as bread from heaven comes to us in the liturgy. And that's why we sing every Sunday, glory to God in the highest. That's the song the angels sang to the shepherds in the field. Glory to God in the highest. When heaven touched down to earth, the angels sing glory to God in the highest. And when heaven touches down to earth in the liturgy, the church teaches us to sing the same words because there we recognize the coming of the same Savior. You know, I was I I hate to bring up more Advent stuff, even though because we're this supposed to be about Christmas. But I was thinking about as you're saying this, I was thinking about the one of my favorite times of the year are the seven days leading up to Christmas because we mm. got start saying singing the O antiphons. And I know oh, this sure. is technically a liturgical question, but I mean all of these O antiphons are referring back to Isaiah, to the Psalms, right. and to these ideas. Could you comment on the the history of the or the the context and the content of the O antiphons that are being sung on the days leading up to the Christmas celebration? Right. Well, the key thing we see is the 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 a use of biblical prophecy in reference to Christ's birth. Christ is coming to fulfill the words of, for example, the prophet Isaiah. A prophet Isaiah tells us, for example, about a child who will be born who will be called Emmanuel. Now, if you read that prophecy in the original context of Isaiah, we see it's probably referring to King Hezekiah, right, who is a Davidic king through whom the Davidic kingdom is, is saved. But of course, that that salvation is not permanent to anything but. Now, Hezekiah does not live up to the great prophecies that Isaiah announces. And so ancient Jews recognized that those prophecies had a fuller meaning, a meaning that would only be fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. And so what we see in the liturgy is the way Christ is coming to fulfill the scriptures. Again, if you want to find yourself home at Christmas, if you want to be home at Christmas, there's that beautiful song, I'll be home at Christmas, if only in my dreams. If we if we want to be home at Christmas, we have to recognize that Christmas's home is in the story of the Bible. And once we recognize that story is being fulfilled in Christ, 
we too can enter into that same story and we won't be let down. Mm. We won't be disappointed because Christ is faithful and he will bring us reconciliation, not just with people that we love here in this life, but with the God of heaven, with the angels, with the saints, and bring us into that heavenly home that he's prepared for us. Dr. Michael Barber is our guest. The True Meaning of Christmas, The Birth of Jesus, and the Origins of the Season is the book. Ignatius.com is the website where you can pick up a copy. I'm sure you can get it elsewhere as well, but Ignatius Press publishes it, and you should check them out, Ignatius.com. Why did you start, Dr. Barber, every chapter with A Christmas Carol? Oh, first of all, because I love I love the music of the season. It's so beautiful. Uh, and, and I think it's important to recognize how, you know, there are silly Christmas songs. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Uh, yeah. But there are ones that are more enduring, ones that 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 seem to touch our hearts every year. Again, uh, so many of these songs talk about dreaming. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, like the ones I used to know, or I'll be home if only in my dreams. So many of these songs talk about things that are near and dear to our heart. And so what I wanted to do was start with something that would be familiar to people and show how the biblical story is rooted in these in these yearnings. So the first major chapter of the book is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. What is that song all about? Well, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile. Israel has been taken away in captivity because of sin. Israel longs to return from exile. Isn't that what so many people experience at the Christmas season? They think about Christmas past. They think about the glories of Christmas long ago, as Andy Williams puts it in his song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. We think back to the golden days of yore, right? As you think about that song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, right? Here we are as in the olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends gather near to us. Uh, once more, um, we we long for those Christmases that we remember, and so often, Christmas present never lives up to Christmas past. Why? Well, because we've associated Christmas with being with loved ones, and that that song I love that song. Have yourself a very merry Christmas. Uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas, because it it points out that the golden days of your are the ones we're living in right now. Right, gather near to us once more. We don't know how many more times we'll gather with the family members that we have. Life life passes by in a flash. Every parent has children that they lift up, that they carry in their arms. Every parent put down their child for the last time. Every parent, there was a moment where every parent held their baby and for the last time, put that baby down. And that moment passes by unceremoniously. We don't even realize when it happened. That's the last time I held my son, Michael or Matthew or whatever. Now Michael's 13 for me, right? Um, (laughs) Life passes by so quickly and and, and we don't even, we we can't grab it. Augustine talks about how, you know, it's, it's like water. We're trying to hold on to it. It's just, it's, it sifts through our hand. It sifts through our fingers. And, and, And so, People often feel like Christmas is a letdown. They listen to these songs. What I wanted to do was was help people think about these songs in light of the biblical story and see how the hopes and the yearnings that we associate with them are ultimately fulfilled when we recognize 
the homecoming that we have in the story of Christ's birth, that Christ is inviting us into the family of the Father. And if we recognize that that's really at the heart of the Christmas story, and we recognize that Christ has come as Savior, then we can never be let down. We can never imagine that reconciliation is impossible. I mean, think about that silly movie, Home Alone, that, you know, it's kind of got Christmas in the background. The end of the story is this scene of this reconciliation of this father with his estranged child, right? His son who's been who's grown up and his grandchildren. People want to be reconciled at Christmas. And I think so many people believe it's not possible because our sin has fractured our relationships, has separated us. But the grace of the Savior is able to overcome all of that brokenness and bring us the joy that we long for. Dr. Barber, I have a question. Sure. Um, you know, you're talking about the lead up to Christmas. You kind of just discussed, you know, how it just kind of comes unceremoniously. Um, well, after Christmas Day, there's 50 days of Christmas in the liturgical season. Uh, how how would you uh, suggest people celebrate or continue to celebrate Christmas in those 50 days in that? Yeah, it's funny. You know, there. So you know, the book is called "The True Meaning of Christmas," and of course. That raises the question, are there false meanings of Christmas? Uh, well, actually, there are. And a lot of the things people have heard about Christmas is actually, as I show in the book, not actually true. And some of these things are are not all that helpful. Um, some people have heard, you know, that the 12 days of Christmas, you've heard that song. It's got that, you know, annoying repetition and a partridge in a pear tree, right? Um but it, some people have heard that song is like an encoded song for Christians and person. That's nonsense. That's not true. And there's always internet sites that are going to perpetrate this, these, you know, these these legends on people. Real scholars point out that this is, has no basis in fact. But one thing that's really helpful about that song is it helps people remember it isn't just a day. Christmas isn't just a day. It is a season. And I think the best thing we can do is not just try to analyze that Christmas song, you know, Lords of Leapin, Lords of Leapin. What does that mean? Now let's look at that. Let's look at the liturgical calendar itself and really focus on the meaning there. A lot of people don't understand that the season, that the, the, the feast there are very carefully arranged. So what's the day after Christmas? The Feast of St. Stephen, right? You know, the song, Good King Wenceslas went out on the Feast of Stephen, right? Well, why is that important? Why do we celebrate the first martyr on the day after Christmas. And then the next day is what? The Feast of John the Apostle. And the day after that is the Feast of the Holy Innocents. You know, Christians came to understand that these three feasts were really important and part of the Christmas season. Why? Well, Christians understood that the death of the martyrs marked their birthday, right? So a martyr's death is his birthday into heaven. And so we celebrate the birthday of Christ, but then we recognize that it's not biological birth that is most important. What's really important is birth into eternal life. And so we look at the Feast of St. Stephen on the Feast of December 26th. But see, Stephen represents the martyrs, those who give their life freely to Christ. The next day we celebrate the Feast of John the Apostle. Why is that? Well, there's a strand of tradition that says that. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. 
Have you ever heard people object to gold and gilded ornaments in a Catholic church? Have you ever heard them question the purpose of burning incense? How do we answer them? Simple. We answer them by pointing out the three gifts of the wise men at Christmas. If gold and incense can be brought to a stable, they can certainly be brought to a church. What do these three gifts mean? G.K. Chesterton says they represent three prophecies about the Christ child. Gold, that he should be crowned like a king. Frankincense, that he should be worshipped like a god. And myrrh, that he should be buried like a man. The first two are marvelous and obvious. The third is a wonder. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at chesterton.org. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca wishing you a Merry Christmas from the Catholic Drive Time team. A brief meditation on Christmas. The Virgin adored him saying, O Lord, you indeed have come from heaven to earth for the salvation of men. I adore you because as God you are my creator and as human you are my son. Joseph adored him saying, O Lord, you have granted me such a grace. Kings and prophets wished to see you and they did not see. But to me, a sinner, you have given such a grace that I should see you. Merry Christmas and God love you. Birthday, right? So a martyr's death is his birthday into heaven. And so we celebrate the birthday of Christ, but then we recognize that it's not biological birth that is most important. What's really important is birth into eternal life. And so we look at the Feast of St. Stephen on the Feast of December 26. But see, Stephen represents the martyrs, those who give their life freely to Christ. The next day we celebrate the Feast of John the Apostle. Why is that? Well, there's a strand of tradition that says that John couldn't be killed, that they tried to martyr John. They tried to, for example, have him drink poison and he wouldn't die. So on the Feast of the 27th, we remember those who would give their life as a martyr, but died of some other natural, you know, some other, some other cause, right? So we have those who give their lives as martyrs willingly, 26. We have St. John representing those who would give their life as a martyr, but die of some other purpose. And then on the next day, we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Innocents, who die in Christ without realizing it. Right. And so the church recognizes they th that also represents a group of people, right, who die for Christ, but they don't really realize that they're dying for Christ yet. So so in the church's liturgy, we recognize, and, and this is longstanding Christian tradition, that these three feasts are very important in the Christmas season. And I think that that's something that's lost on a lot of people. I didn't really understand that this was an established Christmas tradition until I researched the book, right? So December 26th, December 27th, Feast of Stephen, the Feast of St. John the Apostle, then the Feast of Holy Innocence. Of course, on January 1st, we, we celebrate the Feast of Mary as the Mother of God. All of these feasts are very important, and the more we study them, the better we understand them. I think the better we can enter into that Christmas season as it's meant to be celebrated. 
Dr. Michael Barber is our guest. The True Meaning of Christmas is the book. I encourage you to check it out at Ignatius.com. I want to talk about a couple of things. We have just under 10 minutes left with Dr. Barber here. Um, number one, there was, I've heard you talk about this in other interviews about uh, no room at the end, and you yeah. link back to the upper room. Um, yes. I'd love for you to share that with us, but more, but very specifically, it got me curious in listening to you talk about that, having not had the benefit of re- reading your book yet. Uh, is there a connection here specifically, literally, to the upper room? Was there an intent to be in the upper room for the nativity? I mean, that, 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 that thought crossed my mind as I heard you talk about it. Tell me about uh, what you've written. Yeah, so let's let's look at that. So in the book, I use all my own Bible translations. I translate from the Hebrew and Greek myself because I think so many of the English translations we have are misleading, especially when it comes to the translation of the gospel accounts of the Christmas story of Jesus's birth. So in the story of Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus was laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, that translation conjures up an image, right, of a hotel. There was no room at the end. There's like a no vacancy sign in Hotel Bethlehem, right? And the sense that people get is there's no room. So there's like an innkeeper and he's saying, okay, room three, uh, that's occupied. Room seven, occupied. Room 11, occupied. Oh, there's no room in the inn. That's not what's going on there in the story. So the word that's translated in, it's not the word that means in in Greek. Actually, Luke has a word that means in. We encounter it in the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The man is left for dead, beaten by the side of the road. Good Samaritan comes. He takes him to an inn. The Greek word there is pandokian. And he leaves him there with the innkeeper and he says, you know, I'll come back to town later and I'll cover his expenses. Okay, that's not the word that occurs in the story of Jesus' birth. It says that he was laid in a manger. The Greek word there is fatne. Manger is fatne. Most likely means like a feeding trough, as scholars like Raymond Brown show. A place where you put the hay or the, you know, the feed for the animals. And, and they, they put him in the manger because there was no space for them. That's how I translate it. There was no space for them. In the kataluma, that's the word there that's translated in. Really, kataluma is the word that means room. There was no space, tapas, there was no space for them in the room. Now, that's a really significant word. People get frustrated when I say these things. They say, well, Dr. Barber, you're just myth-busting. I'm not interested in just myth-busting. People sometimes get upset with, you know, Bible study and they say, oh, historical criticism is worthless and it's just meant to destroy people's faith. No. First of all, we should be interested in truth and we need to follow that truth wherever it leads, okay? But here's the thing. If you miss this, you're going to miss a key element of the story that will really enrich your faith. So the word that's translated in is really room, and it's the same word that appears later in Luke's gospel. When Jesus tells the disciples to go into Jerusalem and prepare the place for the Last Supper, and where do they go? They go to the upper room. Jesus says, you'll find a room prepared. That's the same word that's found in the story of Jesus's birth. So let's recap. Jesus is put in the manger. He's put where the food goes because there's no space in the room. He can't be in the room, so he's in the manger. 
Later on, he goes into the room, the upper room, and there he says what? He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he says, this is my body. In the upper room, Jesus reveals what the story of his being laid in the manger points to, mm -hmm. that he's our food. And like I said, Jerome points out, this is hugely significant. Jesus is born in the house of bread. He's born in Beth, house in Hebrew, Lechem, bread in Hebrew. He's born in the house of bread to point forward to the way in the upper room, he will give us himself as our food. And that really is why I think it's significant. We call it Christmas. What is Christmas? It's made up of two words, Christ and mass. People say, it can't be that simple. It's that simple. I'm telling you, it's that simple. Goes back to Middle English, 1100s to the 1500s, basically. And, and this word Christmas comes from Christ and mass. And mass is a word that's used in England even today in the Anglican church. They'll celebrate even today. Michaelmas. What's Michaelmas? It's the mass for the Feast of St. Michael. It's the Feast of St. Michael or Candlemas. Candlemas is the old term for the Feast of the Presentation of the Child Jesus, right? In the story, Simeon says to Mary and Joseph that this is the light that, you know, the light that will dawn for all nations to see. And so since Christ is identified as the light of the nations, it was a custom that the faithful would be given candles on this feast day. So they called it Candlemas, the Mass of the Candle right? So we call it Christmas. And it's really interesting, right? People always talk about, don't take Christ out of Christmas. Don't take Christ out of Christmas. We have a Protestant friend who's a biblical scholar. And a few years ago, just to be a fly in the ointment, he, he wrote on his Facebook page to people, he said, you know, it's always interesting. My Protestant friends are so interested in making sure we don't take Christ out of Christmas. They never talk about the danger of taking the mass out of Christmas, right? right? Yeah. That's dead on. Yeah. That is dead on, right? We should keep mass at Christmas because in the mass, the same mystery that we remember, that is the son of God comes to us and is put where the food goes in the manger. That same mystery is now made present. That one who has made our food comes to us. And so every Christmas, Every Mass, I should say, is a little Christmas. That's interesting that's the thing you note there, Dr. Barber, because I was thinking of, while you are saying that, of the fact that the anti-Christmas movement really started with the Protestant Revolution, with uh, the Puritans in America uh, pushing for this anti-Christmas position because— it was a Catholic holiday, and they were actually like, it didn't start that. in America. So let's be clear: it starts in England first, right? But it does get picked up in America as well because it's English colonies, and it's a major political issue. And I, I explain some of this in the book. But suffice it to say, after the Protestant Reformation, there's an understanding we follow the Bible alone, and if the Bible doesn't tell us when Jesus is born, and it doesn't tell us when Jesus was born. It doesn't give us the date. Some people want to say, well, we can figure out when Zechariah was serving in the temple, and we can extrapolate, and we can figure out Jesus is born in the winter. I explain in the book, that doesn't work. Ancient Jews uh, didn't have leap days and leap years like we have today. It got really complicated. They would add a 13th month to the year every now and then. It was really complicated. So, yeah, you can't you can't try to figure these things out like people make it out to be 
people who say that don't know what they're talking about. But but the Protestants would say is, well, we don't know when Jesus was born. And so therefore, since it's not said in the Bible, it's December 25th, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. So they would shut their doors on Christmas Day. Right. And it was even illegal in England and in America in certain times to celebrate Christmas. It was amazing. And, and what ends up happening is by the 19th century, people are still celebrating. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And that's going to have to do it for today. If you want to see that entire interview in its whole and entirety, then I highly recommend going to our Catholic Drive Time YouTube channel. And there that interview will be. So you can check that out. In the next hour, since this is, in fact, a pre-recorded show and not a live show, there will be no game show in the next hour. Instead, we will be giving you the Sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer for Christmas Day. It's going to be an excellent, excellent sermon from St. Vincent Ferrer. And if you, for some reason, cannot stay with us, then you have to check out Catholic Conversations. That would be my podcast or YouTube channel where you can listen to that same sermon will be posted there uh, today. So you can check that out as well if you are not able to tune in in the next hour. Alrighty, God bless you. God love you. We're going to go off to our break and I will see you back after Christmas Day. So next Monday, we'll be back in studio live. No Joe. Joe is going to be out on vacation, but I will be here and, and Jesus Robles will be on with us to talk about various topics that Jesus has planned for us. A police officer who was a, or vice versa, a priest who was once a police officer. That's going to be one of our guests next week. Alrighty, God bless you. God love you. Merry Christmas to you and a happy new year if we don't see you until then. God bless you. We are looking forward to the birth of our Savior on this beautiful, beautiful Christmas day. And we look forward to the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray, hope, and don't worry. Pray for us, and we'll be, I'll be praying for you. So God bless you. Merry Christmas and a happy, happy New Year. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Hi, this is Len Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network. My wife Joanne and I would like to wish all of our GRN listeners and their families a very blessed Christmas and a happy new year. Hi, this is Toya Hall, Vice President of the Guadalupe Radio Network. I want to thank you, Guadalupe Radio family, for your prayers and gifts that provide support for your GRN station. I pray that you and your loved ones will have a most blessed Advent, a joyful Christmas, and a new year filled with peace and love. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it's become a bad habit in our society to celebrate Christmas before it comes. We've forgotten the glory of anticipation. The presents should not be opened until Christmas. That, of course, is part of the excitement. 
And while we know the gifts are coming, Chesterton reminds us that the best kind of gift is the surprise gift. And if we have the right perspective, we should look at everything as a gift and every gift as a surprise gift. We are happy to wake up on Christmas morning and find gifts in our stockings, but the best gift we could ever find in our stockings is our own two legs. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. During this season of celebrating the birth of our Savior, it's a good time to reflect on all of our blessings. Yes, Dave, like all of our faithful listeners who help keep Catholic Radio on the air every day. So so I'm grateful for our bishops, priests, and religious who sacrifice every single day for the salvation of souls. I appreciate being a Catholic and for the freedom we enjoy to worship in this country. And even for the little things, like that gallon of eggnog sitting in our office fridge. Ooh, is that supposed to be for everybody? Uh, yeah. Oops. Merry Merry Christmas, Christmas, GRN GRN family. family! Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. And today is a pre-recorded show. We have the day off. We are getting ready for the Christmas season. Praise be to God. And today was going to be a very different second hour. We're not going to have a game show, no gospel of the day, no saint of the day, none of that. Why? Because I have for you today the sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer, one of the greatest saints who ever lived, one of my favorite saints. I love him so much. I'll tell you a little bit about him in a second. But let me just tell you, tomorrow... We are not having a show. No Catholic Drive Time tomorrow. If you tune in tomorrow, what you will get is a sermon from Saint, uh, from Venerable Fulton Sheen on Christmas. And then on Friday, on Christmas Day, I believe you will receive a audio drama of the Christmas Carol, I believe. I could be wrong about that. I apologize if I get these things incorrect. But we will be back on Monday. Joe won't be back. Joe will be on vacation. Praise be to God. But uh, I will be in the studio with Jesus Robles with the Houston Police Department. He's going to be guest hosting for Joe while Joe is away. And so we got a great show for you. We're going to be live back on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, then on the 28th, I take off. I'm going on vacation. I'm going to be out with the TFP in Pennsylvania. I'm going to be there until January 4th. And then Joe is going to be back whenever on the 29th. So don't worry. You're going to have me the 27th, the 28th. And then the 29th, I will, Joe will be back in town. So you're not going to miss us. We're going to be here. And it's going to be a live show. So next week, there's going to be a game show just like normal. So praise be to God for that. And I look forward to having that conversation whenever we get back about our trips, our vacation time. And God bless you. If we don't see you again, God bless you. Merry Christmas. Think about the reason for the season. Remember, it is Christ Mass. It is the Mass of Christ. That is the primary reason we have this great and holy, venerable uh, holiday, holy day. Of And so now, today is a day, well, I guess today's the 23rd, but we are coming on the day where we can say Merry Christmas and not just Happy Advent. So let's do the sermon with St. Vincent Ferrer right now. 
Praise be to Jesus Christ, and we're going to give to you today a sermon from St. Vincent Ferrer on the Christmas Day, on Christmas Day sermon. And, you know, just so you know, just a quick, quick biography of St. Vincent Ferrer. He was an amazing saint who had visions of the saints, who had uh, performed miracles, who sprouted wings, who did amazing things, converted entire synagogues of Jews and mosques of Muslims amazing, amazing evangelist. And this is one of his sermons that I'm going to read to you today. And uh, hopefully you will like it and uh, we help you meditate upon this today and the days leading up to Christmas. So without further ado, let me give you the sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer. This day is born to you a savior. Our sermon will be about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in the virgin birth. And but that you might sense the spiritual sweetness of the feast. We shall salute the glorious mother of God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. There is born to us, from the beginning of the world up to the birth of Christ, there has never been heard such good news, nor so useful for mankind like the news of the proposed theme. This day is born to you a Savior. To all who are lost and damned and sentenced to hell, the declaration of the Blessed Nativity I deal with in five conclusions. One, first, that this Blessed Nativity was from of old, ardently desired by the saints. Second, that this Blessed Nativity was cruelly unappreciated by the Jews. Third, that this Blessed Nativity was celebrated powerfully by God. Fourth, that this Blessed Nativity was humbly hidden by the Virgin Mary. And fifth, that this blessed nativity was broadcast publicly by the angels saying, This day is born to you a Savior. And anyone who curiously might wish to preach all five conclusions would be excessively prolix. And all are touched in this theme, in which there are five conditions. The first, therefore, is touched by the first saying. The second is the second, the third is the third, and so on for the others. Number one, the long-desired. I say first that this blessed nativity was ardently desired of old by holy persons, and that you might understand better this condition, listen to this story. You should know that there was a certain great and noble city, well populated, which was cruelly under siege by enemies, attacking it with every kind of weapons, to the extent that it was already running low on provisions. The longer the siege went on, and nor were the enemies willing to take them alive or to grant any mercy, what moreover they killed them at once. Aware of this, the king and lord of the city secretly sent messengers and letters to the city, telling them that he will come and personally to free them when he was able. The citizens were very happy about this and were eagerly expecting his arrival any day. And rightly so of this world, this great and noble city was and is human nature. We can number how many citizens there were and how many dwellings in her. From Adam up to the birth of Christ. Since according to some teachers, more than 5,000 years have passed who were besieged daily by cruel enemies, namely by countless demons, attacking it with diverse temptations, with catapults, pains, and sufferings. Since they were lacking the spiritual food about which Christ said, Not in bread alone does man live, but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Although they had the Mosaic law, it did not give eternal life, nor did they drink the promise of spiritual gifts which refresh the soul. And when someone went out of the city through death 
Immediately without mercy, he was captured and imprisoned in the prison of hell. However, God, the Lord of this world, wished to comfort the citizens, secretly sent messengers to them, the holy patriarchs and prophets, with his letters announcing to them that he himself personally would come to liberate them. Many citizens rejoiced over this, and city dwellers sent him supplications, devout prayers, that he would come and liberate the city. First came Moses, saying to God the Father, I beseech you, Lord, send whom you will send, as you have promised. Second, David, on behalf of the whole city, says, Lord, stir up your might and come to save us. Third, Solomon, saying in the Holy Spirit, send her out of your holy heaven and from the throne of your majesty that she may be with me and may labor with me. Against your enemies, note, send her, namely the person of Christ in human flesh, which is sent by the Father and the Holy Ghost in respect to humanity. Fourth, Isaiah, saying, would that you would grin the heavens and would come down. Others were saying, Come, O Lord, and tarry not. Forgive the sins of your people Israel. The king, however, having heard these supplications, sent a messenger in secretly to the city, who would have say on his behalf, it, If he shall appear at the end, and shall not lie, if he make any delay, wait for him, for he shall surely come, and he shall not be slack. Behold, how ardently he was desired, and according to Augustine they would say, When shall he come? When shall he be born? When would he appear? Do you think I shall see it? Do you think I shall endure? Do you think his birth will find me here? Oh, if only my eyes shall behold the one whom the eyes of the heart have revealed. Oh, if only my eyes shall see what I believe in the writings of God. And the closer he approached, so much the more was he desired. He begins the path of coming on the day of his conception. So he was most fervently desired by the Blessed Virgin, his mother and St. Joseph, who daily checked off the calendar yearning to see the day of his entry into this world. The virgin carried him nine months and six days, which are 277 days. Thus, in the person of Christ, Holy Scripture says, I myself also am a mortal man, like all others. And in the womb of my mother I was fashioned, and the figure of man to be flesh in the time of, t- of ten months. Because of this, The Virgin Mary and Joseph, knowing his coming, was near prepared themselves for receiving him devoutly. The Virgin prepared woolen and linen wrappings, as women do when they close to childbirth. Joseph purchased an ox so so that he could have a great feast on the birth of the child. But in the meantime, says Luke, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. So Augustus wished to enroll the world because he wanted to know how many provinces there were how many cities and how many people. Note the great sadness of Joseph when he heard the edict of the emperor, that under penalty of death, everyone must proceed to the city of their birth. Joseph, who was of the city of Bethlehem of the tribe of David, began to weep, saying, Oh, woe, if I go to Bethlehem, I shall not see that blessed birth so long desired by the saints. If I do not go, I'll be disobedient and will be killed. And two, I shall not see the aforesaid birth. Sadly, he went home. The Virgin Mary comforting him as a wife should do, saying, O Father, what are you worried about? You should rejoice because the Savior is about to be born soon. Then Joseph told the Virgin Mary about the edict of the emperor and the reason for his sadness. The Virgin replied, Father, do not weep, because for your comfort I shall go with you, for I am also of the offspring of David. Joseph, on the one hand, rejoiced, saying that rejoiced that the virgin would wish to go. But on the other hand, he wondered what people would say 
that he was talking that he was taking with him a young pregnant woman so near to childbirth. Also, what if she gives birth on the way? The virgin replied to him, Father, do not worry about what people will say, because your intention is good. It is the will of God that we go to Bethlehem, because the Savior is to be born there. According to the prophecy of Micah, and you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, are a little place in the kingdom of Judea. Out of you shall come forth one who to be the ruler of Israel. The Virgin Mary knew the Bible better than the prophet, as Origen said. They prepared themselves and left the town of Nazareth, the virgin riding on a donkey, and Joseph leading the ass and the ox. Behold the queen of paradise and those she was traveling with. Then was fulfilled the prophecy of Haggai on this event, saying, Yet one moment, and I will move the heaven and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will move all nations, and desired of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Note one moment, because it was only a moment of time from the prophet Haggai until Christ. And I move the heaven. When he speaks of the immovable, inferior heaven, St. Thomas says in the Prima Pars that when some angel receives a revelation from God, immediately he reveals it to the others, so that nothing there is kept a secret. So the archangel Gabriel in the holy court of the Trinity, which he had the revelation of the incarnation and the nativity of the Son of God, about which he was the messenger, immediately revealed it to all the others. And so the heavens moved out of joy and rejoicing and dancing because of the reparation of the fall. So I will move the earth, the Virgin Mary is called, the virginal earth, who is to produce the fruit of life, who was moved by the angel's salutation when troubled at his saying, thought within herself what manner of salutation this should be. Then I shall move the sea and the dry land, when from the edict of the emperor the peoples would proceed to their sites, some by the sea, some by land, and shall come, then shall come the desired of all the ages. So much for the first conclusion. Cruelly unappreciated. The second conclusion says that this, that this blessed nativity was cruelly unappreciated by the Jews. History says that when Joseph and the virgin were in the city of Bethlehem, they found no hospitality nor any house nor hospice that was willing to receive them. Three reasons are alleged for this. First, because they were the last to arrive and they had to go slowly on the way. So whoever came last often seems to be angry. Secondly, although the city of Bethlehem was small, it nevertheless teemed with many in military service and citizens and nobles, all who were of the tribe of David, who had been born in this city. They had many reservations in advance for their lodgings. A third reason was avarice of the, hot, of the hotelers. When they got a look at Joseph, the poor man with his pregnant wife thought that they would fill up a whole room and that they would be a little profit from them. Most likely, when Joseph entered through the gate of the city, when the virgin riding on the donkey, he would head immediately to the first inn, lest he would have, passed, would have to pass through the whole city, seeking whether they might find a place there. When they asked who and how many were in the party, they saw there were only two, with an ox and an ass, thinking we will learn little, they told them to move on because there is no place here for you. At the next end, the answer was that there was no vacancies. Imagine Joseph's anxiety here and the shame of the Virgin Mary, thus going from door to door. But, but the Virgin patiently put up with it and comforted Joseph. Finally, they came to another inn where they said that all was full for such a gentleman and for expectant one. Seeing that they couldn't buy lodging, Joseph searched that out of love of God, some private home would take in the pregnant woman nearer to childbirth. But he did not find one in the whole city. 
And so they said to him, Old man, you are indeed concerned about your wife, but why did you put her in the situation so pregnant? And the poor man wept, at which the virgin said, Father, let us be patient. We shall find some hospital. So they looked for a hospital, seeing if they might be received out of love of God. The nurse replied, You are healthy, and this house is for the sick. You are not able to be received here, and so spare us. Since the hour was late, and they had not found a place, Joseph said, O Lord, these are my sins. Then they found a cave along a public road, in which there was a manger, where visitors sometimes stabled their animals. The virgin said, Father, we shall stay here, because it is not right to go through the village at this hour. Joseph said, Oh, woe! We shall never find a house. The Virgin Mary said, Father, the whole world is the house of God, so let us stay here. Then Joseph, with the greatest reverence, assisted the Virgin from the donkey and entered the refuge. And Joseph rolled out a blanket, which he had brought on the donkey as a tent for privacy. And he went to buy some straw and charcoal because of the cold. And from a little straw he made a bed for the Queen of Heaven, saying, O Lord, what will you say to me, that I have placed your mother on such a bed? And in this place they stayed for it at least thirteen days. The gloss on St. Matthew chapter 2 said that the kings from the east found Christ the king still there in that cave. Behold the palace of the queen of paradise. Behold how the glorious birth was little appreciated by the Jews. God had revealed this to Jeremiah the prophet, who weeping said in the person of the Jews, We have sinned against thee, O expectation of Israel. The Savior thereof is in time of trouble. Why will you be a stranger in the land as a mighty wayfaring man turning into lodge? Why will you be as a wandering man, as a mighty man that cannot save? Thus this prophecy was fulfilled. So much for the second conclusion. A moral aside, who of you does not know now in his heart? Oh, if I had been there then and had known him, I would have received him into my home. Would you that... Would, would that you would not be in the same condemnation or cruelty with the Jews. Have you ever today seen a pregnant young woman in this village with Joseph and never took them in? The consecrated host which the priest brings forth, like Joseph, is the virgin pregnant with the Son of God. Who of you receives him by communicating devoutly? None, I believe. With sincere reflection, you should prepare for yourself the home of your conscience through contrition, confession, and satisfaction. Many excuse themselves like the Bethlehemites, saying, I have to welcome a great soldier, namely Sir Chicken, Lord Kid, and Master Pig. Another says, I have to receive a great and noble lady named Lady Hen, another maiden Partridge, etc. But they do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ, about which John in the gospel said, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them power to be made the sons of God. A mighty birth. The third conclusion says that the blessed nativity came about through the celebrated powers of God. The Virgin Mary stayed in that cave, as it is said, between the cattle. In that middle of the night, the hour for her delivery arrived, the Virgin Mary sensed that not like other women, who before they feel the onset of childbirth, have pains, miseries, and sufferings in the body, and their faces are distorted. The Virgin Mary had other signs, special, special inspirations, consolations, and heartfelt sweetness with exquisite pleasure more than others, and her face was radiant. Joseph, seeing this, said, Blessed, what is happening? She replied, Father, now the hour of my childbirth is at hand. 
Joseph got up immediately so that he might send for his for the midwives. But the virgin stopped him, saying, Father, just as for his conception, no creature did anything, so neither for his birth. Joseph then said, Blessed, neither you or I are expert in this. The virgin said, Father, don't worry, because God, the Heavenly Father, will provide. And so the book of the infancy of the Savior, which states that there were women who had been condemned by the decree of Pope Pelagius, no midwife assisted at his birth, no woman's officiousness intervened. But suddenly, like the ray of the sun, passes through a glass window without breaking it. So Christ, the Son of Justice, passed through the gate of her virginal womb without any breaking or corruption, like a bridegroom from his chamber. The virgin received him into her own hands and on her knees with great reverence and veneration, adoring him, saying, O Lord, you indeed have come from heaven to earth for the salvation of men. O Lord, desired by the holy patriarchs and prophets, I adore you because as God, you are my creator, as human, you are my son. And she kissed him first on the feet as God, and next on his mouth as a son, and then on the hands as the creator of all things, and finally on his face as her son, saying, O Lord, you have given me such a grace. And she adored him a hundred times over. And as someone has reported, she said, You are the Lord my God, you are my Redeemer, you are my beloved son. Ambrose, O blessed virgin, who can open the treasure of your heart to us? Here you you adore your child as God, and here you kiss him as a son. Joseph, weeping for joy, said, Blessed, permit me to adore your son, the long-desired son of God. How he adored him, saying, O Lord, you have granted me such a grace. Kings and prophets wished to see you, and they did not see. And to me, a sinner, you have given such a grace that I should see you. Then Then the infant began to cry because of the cold. Joseph immediately warmed the blankets, and the virgin wrapped him. Then Joseph wanted to call for a wet nurse, but the virgin again stopped him. Joseph said, Blessed, what are you doing? For you do not have milk. Doctors say that from the same root comes milk and children. So a woman who does not know man does not have milk. The virgin replied, Father, God will, Father, God shall provide. Then the virgin on her knees prayed God, the Father, saying, God, the Father, you and I have one son in common. So you who provide for all creatures ought to provide some milk for him. Then suddenly her breasts were filled with milk sent to her from heaven. So the church says, The virgin, not knowing man without pain, gives birth to the Savior of the ages. The virgin herself, with full breast, nursed the very king of the angels. So much for the third conclusion. Humble and hidden. The fourth conclusion states that the blessed nativity happened to a virgin, humble and hidden. History says that as soon as Christ was born, his body shone like the rising sun, and the night became as midday, and so it was light. Think how many who were not sleeping and wandering about such a brightness sought to see the source of the light and ran towards such a great spectacle of light. The virgin, sensing the excitement of people, placed the child in the manger. Jews came to see the source of light. Some of them said, prophecy says that when the Messiah will be born, night shall be light as day. Others asked if this might be he. Some said, be quiet, Don't don't make much of it. If Herod finds out, he will kill us so that out of fear of Herod, they did not dare receive the Messiah King. Of this light, the prophet said, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. To them that dwelt in the region of the shadow of death, of the sin of ingratitude, a light has risen for them. You have multiplied the nation, 
to see the light and have not increased the joy because no one brought him or the virgin a gift of that light. It is said it is pointed out when it is said and it follows for a child is born to us and a son is given to us, not the father nor the Holy Spirit. Here the question is raised. Why did the blessed virgin place her son in the manger between the beast? But if what if the ox with horns or the donkey with teeth had attacked? St. Luke wishes to excuse the virgin, saying she laid him in a manger because there is no room for him for them in the inn, in this cave. But one might respond to St. Luke, could not the virgin have given birth without pain and suffering, place or position him in her arms or on her breasts? Why put him between animals? The response is for three reasons. First, to fulfill the scriptural truth. Second, to alleviate bodily needs. And third, to teach us a moral lesson. As for the first, it is prophesied that he would be placed between the animals and humbly be adored. Think what kind of joy the Blessed Virgin had when she, her son, adored by an ox and an ass. How sad when she says, how sad when she saw him ignored by the Jews. And so was fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, saying, "Hear, O ye heavens, and give it, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have brought up children and exalted them, but they have despised me. The ox knows his owner." and the as his master's crib, but Israel has not known me. Bodily needs, as for the second reason, you have already seen how cold it could be at that time. Think if the Virgin Mary was cold, because we do not read that they brought linen coats. For this reason, she placed her child in the manger so that the animals might warm him with their breath, as as it was revealed by Habakkuk the prophet, who said this, Lord, I have heard your voice, and I have feared. Lord, I have considered your work in the middle of two animals. You shall be known. The moral lesson, as for the third reason, the virgin does this so that he might be instructed in good morals. An ox is a great animal having two big horns which signify the temporal lords and rulers of the community. The donkey which carries burdens signifies peasants and subjects. And the virgin places her son in the middle, pointing out that all can indeed be saved by the saving justice of the Lord. And that not by hatred, nor by love, nor by fear, nor by bribes, they give unjustly. Vassals, too, by giving faith, obedience, and reverence for their lords. Second, the ox is a clean animal, which in olden times was sacrificed to God. So it symbolizes the priest, who offers sacrifice to God. The simple as signifies the the laity. The virgin places her son between them, implying that all can be saved. Third, the ox, which does not bear burdens... This signifies the rich who do not labor with their hands. The ass signifies the workers if they be patient. Fourth, the ox which has horns signifies devout and holy people. Two horns are true prudence or adherence to the faith and prompt obedience to commandments. The surely as signifies sinners who, if they are repentant, can be saved. Fifth, the ox which chews the cud and has divided hooves signifies the learned masters and doctors who ruminate by studying and the divided hooves mean they have knowledge of the Old and the New Testament. The as signifies the ignorant. Christ is placed in the middle, and the text of David confirms it. Men and beasts you will preserve, O Lord. O how you have multiplied your mercy, O God. Note men both powerful and powerless, both learned and rich and and draft animals, crude sinners and the ignorant, shall be saved by the Lord. Open Proclaim The fifth conclusion says that the Blessed Nativity was openly proclaimed by the angels when they appeared to the shepherds telling the good news. For this day is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
and the city of David. St. Luke writes, a little story is told about the angels at the birth of Christ, that God, the Father from heaven, while he was throwing a big party over the birth of Christ, sent to them to earth, sent them to earth so that they there might be a feast here also. This blessed nativity was revealed to the watching shepherds, not to the sleeping emperor Octavian, nor in Jerusalem to the masters and teachers, nor to the priests, but to the shepherds singing their songs. Why this? Bernard says that shepherds have five qualities in which it's shown to which persons God reveals his secrets and gives his glory. First, the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks, in which it is shown the shepherds, both temporal and ecclesiastical, ought to watch over the flock committed to them, lest they be devoured by the wolves of especially notorious sin. Because the community is not punished for secret sins, to such shepherds God reveals his glory and grace. Secondly, they play their flutes harmoniously, in which is shown that to devout and peaceful persons who play music through their prayers and supplications, God reveals his grace and glory. Third, because they were in the desert, and the harshness of penance, where eating and drinking and sleeping was hard, in which it is shown that to those who live in the rigors of penitence, God reveals his grace and glory. Fourthly, because they were poor men, so Christ says, but woe to you that are rich, for you have your consolation. And fifthly, because they were simple men, they despised no one. To such God gives his grace. Authority of Christ, I confess to you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to the lowly ones. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this beautiful and wonderful sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer. I highly recommend you listen to this over and over again. It'll definitely be up online for you to listen to again. And this is a beautiful, beautiful sermon to start meditating starting today and every day leading up to the Christmas day and during the Christmas season, which leads all the way to Candlemas, which I believe is February 2nd. So praise be to God. God bless you. God love you. Merry Christmas to you. Have a happy new year. And I will see you whenever we get back. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate Thursday of the fourth week of Advent. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. People look east, the time is near of the crowd.
spare us, you are able. Trim the hearth and set the table. People look east and sing today. Love the guest is on the way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And with your spirit. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to, to Almighty, Almighty God and, and to you, my brothers, brothers and sisters, that, that I, I have, have greatly sinned in my, my thoughts, thoughts and in my words, in what, what I have done, in what, what I have failed to do, through my faults, through my faults, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask the Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and to you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, as we see how the nativity of your Son according to the flesh draws near, we pray that to us, your unworthy servants, mercy may flow from your word who chose to become flesh of the Virgin Mary and establish among us his dwelling. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Malachi. Thus says the Lord God, Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who will endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, or like the fuller's lie, he will sit refining and purifying silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold or like silver, that they may offer due sacrifice to the Lord. Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in the days of old, as in years gone by. Lo, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with doom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Lift up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. Lift, Lift up, up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior. 
Lift, lift up, up your, your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. Good and upright is the Lord, thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice, he teaches the humble his way. Lift, lift up, up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. All the paths of the Lord are kindness and constancy toward those who keep his covenant and his decrees. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and his covenant for their instruction. Lift, Lift up, up your heads and see, your redemption is near at hand. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. O King of all nations, the keystone of the church, come and save man whom you formed from the dust. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. When the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. When they came on the eighth days to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. So they made signs asking his father what he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. And all were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue freed, and he spoke, Blessing God. Then fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We come now to the last day or two of this Advent season, and you can already sense the anticipation the somewhat of the excitement, very much like in a way going to a concert, either a symphony or even to the movies, right? And you know as the lights begin to dim that everybody starts to get excited because the movie or the show is about to be to begin. In somewhat of a similar way, that's happening in in the in the liturgy. In fact, in the uh, liturgy, the hours and evening prayer coming this evening, they will sing the great O Antiphon, O Emmanuel, God with us, come. That great desire that we have, come and save your people. So ultimately, that's what our hearts desire most, is to be saved, that the Lord would draw near to us and that we would be saved, freed from our sins. For this is why he came, to draw us into communion with him, to free us from the power of the enemy. As we've gone through beginning December 17th and now already to December 23rd, we've been following along a kind of chronological unfolding of the immediate preparation for the birth of Christ. And we come in this gospel to Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist and finally naming him John. 
We heard yesterday the in the the gospel canticle of Mary, her great magnificat, and tomorrow we'll hear uh, Zechariah's great hymn. It's kind of interesting. There's this parallel between um, John's John's birth and Jesus's birth. There's first the annunciation to Zechariah, and we know what happened there. He questioned the angel, "How is this going to happen?" And then he became mute. And then uh, the and then there's the annunciation to Mary of Jesus, and she asks a question, how can this be since I have no relationship with a man? Her question, a question of faith, how does the Lord want me to respond so that his will can be accomplished? There wasn't a doubt of whether it could happen. It was just how, how was, what was going to be her involvement? And then after that, um, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and there's this beautiful exchange, and Mary sings this amazing hymn out of the depths of her soul that it magnifies the Lord. And so her lips, in a way, or her, she gives expression to the great wonder and praise that she has in the depths of her soul. We will hear that tomorrow from, from Zechariah. But today, his lips finally are released. You know, Maybe in this way, this, we have so much anticipation, we kind of want to sort of cry out for joy. And that's the thing what happens with, with Zechariah when the, he names his, his son John, the, mess, the name that had been given to them by the angel, all of a sudden, his lips are free, and he begins to praise. And I think that's the same response that we should have in our own souls uh, during this time as we wait in joyful hope. And almost on the cusp, we're almost there, is that this welling up of God's, recognizing God's goodness and his, uh, and, and his majesty should release our lips to give praise and to bless him. Perhaps, too, as we, were, as we come to this last days, our preparation, we recognize that there's a lot of other distractions, too, perhaps, in our minds. We have the last bit of gifts to give, and if you're, if you're like me, I'm, I'm awful at giving gifts. It's not, not one of my love languages or one of my strengths, and so I find it very tedious, and, and it's very difficult. Um, and so, you know, go through the store, like, what on earth am I going to get for this person? I have no idea. Um, and for other people, of course, it's much easier. They know immediately, this, is, this person would love this, so on and so forth. But perhaps that too occupies our mind. But amidst all of that, if we could keep that focus on the Lord, the Lord who is coming, who is journeying in these last days uh, to Bethlehem, but to keep our focus on the Lord, to give that well, welling up of praise should come more naturally for us. And so we, those other things which are important uh, do not take the precedence of what we are really preparing to celebrate. Let us ask uh, St. Elizabeth and St. Zachariah, and St. John the Baptist, who recognized the presence of the Lord, even in the, even in the womb of Elizabeth, who now is born, and now this Zechariah gives us hymn of praise. Let us uh, ask them to help us to, in this very last moments of preparation, uh, to help us to give voice to the praise and the glory that we experience in our own lives and in our souls, the working of God in our lives, who has come to save us. Amen. Let's now bring our prayers and our petitions before the Lord. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for all the needs of the Church. Remember his intention for this month of December for all catechists, that they may impart the faith to those whom they teach, and also be a great witness to the transforming power of faith and love of God. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray for peace throughout the world, especially in this holy time, the peace that Christ is and gives us, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. 
We pray for all those who govern us, that they may come to adore the Christ child, recognize in him the ruler of the nations, they may listen deliberately and intentionally to the, uh, the inspirations of the Holy Spirit in their decisions, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We're ever mindful of those who are sick and who are suffering. Remember those who are lonely, those who suffer from depression, uh, those who have no one to celebrate this, this great feast with uh, this Christmas season, that they may be comforted uh, by God's grace, and we may also show them love as our brothers and sisters, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let's pray for the homeless, uh, those who are unemployed, those who find, have financial difficulties in this time, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the intentions that we hold in our hearts, for all of our family members and our benefactors, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, for those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Finally, let us pray for those who have died. All the holy souls in purgatory, may they rest in peace. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Father, hear our prayers and grant our petitions through Christ our Lord. Amen. Lo, how a rose there blooming from tender stem hath sprung of Jesse's lineage coming by faithful prophets sung. It came a flower bright Amid the cold of winter When half sped was the night I say it was foretold it The rose I have in mind with Mary we behold it, the Virgin Mother kind, to show God's love aright. She bore for us a Savior when half spent was the night. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands, the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. May this oblation, by which divine worship in its fullness has been inaugurated for us, be our perfect reconciliation with you, O Lord, that we may celebrate with minds made pure the nativity of our Redeemer, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For all the oracles of the prophets foretold him, 
The Virgin Mother longed for him with love beyond all telling. John the Baptist sang of his coming and proclaimed his presence when he came. It is by his gift that already we rejoice at the mystery of his nativity, so that he may find us watchful in prayer and exultant in his praise. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Santos, Santos, Santos Dominus Deus Sabaot, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this all of you and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you 
through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Receptus salutaribus moniti, et divine institutione formati, audemus dicere, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let's offer each other the sign of peace. On you stay, qui tolis pecat hamundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, qui tolis peccat amundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, qui tolis peccat amundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you are already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The angel Gabriel from heaven came With wings as drifted snow, with eyes as flame All hail, said he, O lowly maiden Mary Most highly favored lady, Gloria how blessed among all women you shall be, whom every age will praise continually. Your son shall be Emmanuel by seers foretold, most highly favored lady, Gloria. Then gentle Mary meekly bowed her head To me be as it pleases God, she said My soul shall laud and magnify God's holy name Most highly favored lady, Gloria of her Emmanuel the Christ was born In Bethlehem all on a Christmas morn And Christian folk throughout the world will ever say Most highly favored lady, Gloria Let us pray. <clears throat> Grant your peace, O Lord, to those you have nourished with these heavenly gifts, that we may be ready with lighted lamps to meet your dearly beloved Son as his, at his coming, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. The mighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. O come, divine Messiah, the world in silence waits the day when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. Dear Savior, The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, Saint Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Is a 